the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, just like the sixth commandment, which we studied last week, the one about murder, the seventh commandment is short, it is concise, it is brief, it's to the point. And actually, it's even briefer than it appears in, the, in, in our English translations. In the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, it's only two words. Two words, no adultery. Now, essentially, essentially, this commandment forbids a married individual from having sexual relations with anyone other than their spouse. But I want you to know that it involves so much more, so much more than, than simply prohibiting the act of sexual unfaithfulness on the part of married couples. It's difficult to imagine how God's prohibition against adultery could have been phrased more concisely or clearly. It is very much to the point, no ifs, ands, or buts. So why then does there seem to be such disregard for this commandment, uh, even among Christians? Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse as we continue this current series on the Ten Commandments. Pastor Steve's sermons in this series have been very helpful in seeing that God's standards for morality have not changed, even though thousands of years have passed since the commandments were given to Moses and the people of Israel. These messages are a timely reminder for believers living in a society characterized by moral relativism. Like so many of the other commandments that we have already examined in this series, this command, which forbids adultery, is being ignored or broken among Christians just as much as it is among unbelievers. In fact, it seems that although they will admit that adultery is bad, many Christians struggle to realize just how grievous a sin it really is. Pastor Steve is here now to help us get our thinking straight on this vital issue. In the year 16... 31, someone discovered that there was a word missing from a recently published edition of the King James Bible. The word was not, N-O-T. Not was omitted from the seventh of the Ten Commandments so that it read, Thou shalt commit adultery. The archbishop was so enraged by this omission that he actually fined the printers 300 pounds, which at that time was really a lifetime's a life uh, savings. From that time forward, the 1631 edition of the King James Version became known as the Wicked Bible because of that omission. You know, it's hard to imagine that there would be a similar reaction today if in one of our Bible editions the word not was left out. In fact, many people might welcome the mistake because it would seem to fit better with today's moral standards than the original commandment, which is our study this morning, you shall not commit adultery. Now, as all of us know, immorality, sexual immorality, and lust has become one of the driving forces 
of our culture. Remove sex from entertainment, from advertisements, from everyday conversation, and basically, you don't have much else left. That's it. There wouldn't be much left. Tragically, though, sexual immorality is not limited. It's not restricted to non-Christians. In August of the year 2000, Christianity Today magazine concluded a survey of its readership, and its readership, I should say, generally consists of clergy and and church leaders, which would include uh, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. And so the magazine conducted a survey of its readership on the issue of internet pornography. The results are staggering. The results of the survey revealed that 33% of clergy and 36% of laity have visited a sexually explicit site. And past surveys beyond that, going back in time of Christianity today, revealed that one out of four Christian men have been unfaithful to their wives. Imagine that. That is a staggering statistic. And nearly half of those men surveyed admitted to behaving in a manner that was sexually inappropriate. Absolutely staggering statistics. So, the immoral atmosphere of our world impacts everyone. People who know Christ, people who don't know Christ. Believers, unbelievers alike. No one is immune from the sensual temptations of our age. Kent Hughes, in his very excellent book, Disciplines of a Godly Man captures the sensual climate of our day when he says this. One need turn on the television for only a few minutes to feel the heat of the oppressive sensuality of our day. Most of the oppression is crude. A boring trip around the TV channels at midday invariably reveals at least one couple wrapped in bedsheets and much sensual monotony. But the heat has become increasingly artful, especially if its purpose is to sell. The camera focuses close in black and white, on an intense, lusting male face over which is superimposed an amber flame, which then becomes a glowing bottle of Calvin Klein's obsession as the face intones its desire. Newer spots feature subtle cinematic images with prose from D.H. Lawrence, to know him, to gather him in, and Flaubert's Madame Bovary as she wanders around her illicit lover's bedroom. He writes the sticky stream of sensuality penetrates everything in our world. And it is against this penetrating sensuality of our day that the seventh commandment calls us to God's standards of moral purity. Now, just like the sixth commandment, which we studied last week, the one about murder, the seventh commandment is short, it is concise, it is brief, it's to the point. And actually, it's even briefer than it appears in, the, in our English translations. In the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, it's only two words. Two words, no adultery. Now, essentially, essentially, this commandment forbids a married individual from having sexual relations with anyone other than their spouse. But I want you to know that it involves so much more. So much more than, than simply prohibiting the act of sexual unfaithfulness on the part of married couples. And so this morning, what we need to do is what we did last week. We need to ask several questions, several significant questions that will get us to the heart of this commandment. We're going to ask three questions, the same type of questions that we asked last week, in order to discover the full meaning of this commandment. We're going to ask, number one, what action does the seventh commandment forbid? 
What is the specific action it's forbidding? Secondly, what thoughts, what thoughts do the seventh commandment forbid? In other words, what attitudes are forbidden here? And third, what positive virtue does this commandment encourage? Remember, whenever the Ten Commandments are presented as a negative, a positive is implied. Whenever it's presented as a positive, the negative is implied. The commandments are broad. They're, they're not as narrow as some want to want to put it. So let's begin by looking at the first question that helps us to understand the meaning of the seventh commandment, and it's this. What specific action does this commandment forbid? Well, the seventh commandment, as we said before, in its strictest sense is a prohibition against a married person having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. But I want you to understand that that the Bible presents a whole range of forbidden sexual practices. This is not the only one in Scripture that's mentioned. There's a whole range of them. For example, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, prostitution, sex before and outside of marriage. But keep this in mind, and this might be an enlightenment to some of you, that even though some of of these sins are of a perverse and unnatural nature, the sin of adultery is presented in Scripture as the most grievous of all sexual sins. It is presented as the worst of all of them, and that may surprise you. In fact, apart from the sin of idolatry, the prohibition of adultery is mentioned more times in the Old Testament than any other sin. Idolatry mentioned first, and then adultery. And in the New Testament, there is no sin more frequently mentioned than adultery. So the question is, why is adultery presented as such a grievous and an enormous and a gross sin? I'm going to give you several reasons. So you might want to write these down. Several reasons why this sin is worse than all the other sexual sins. First of all, adultery is first and foremost a wicked and rebellious act and sin against God and his moral standards. It needs to be seen for what it is. It is a violation, a rebellion against God. And, and there are several indications in Scripture of this. Remember in the book of Genesis, you have young Joseph, handsome Hebrew man. He finds himself enslaved to a, a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife had this thing for Joseph, and she has tried unsuccessfully to seduce him. Genesis 39 tells us about this. And one reason that her advances were refused by Joseph is because he recognized that to have sexual relations with her would be a great sin against God. That's what he said. He said, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? In Joseph's mind, now keep, it, keep this in mind, Joseph has never seen the Ten Commandments written down. Joseph lives before, or Joseph has not necessarily seen it in print or on stone, but yet in his conscience, in his heart, in his heart, he had it written there. And Joseph understands that it would be a violation against God's moral standards to have uh, sexual relations with this woman. He recognizes, because he wants to please God, that he cannot please God and have relations with her. So he chooses not to sin against the Lord. In Joseph's mind, Limited knowledge that he had, he recognized would be a grievous sin against God. Secondly, remember King David and his adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 51 records for us David's repentance, his heartfelt repentance, his, his weeping, his, his brokenness before the Lord. Now, certainly David's sin affected many people, not, not uh, only Bathsheba, but Bathsheba's husband, who, who basically David killed. He said, put him on the front line. 
and Uriah the Hittite was, was essentially murdered by David. There were children involved as well. Uh, Israel was affected by this. So, so David's sin affected many people. Yet when David broke before the Lord in Psalm 51, he recognized that he had primarily sinned against God. That was his concern. He said in Psalm 51 verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David was so overwhelmed by his own sin, he recognized that first and foremost, what he had done was a sin against God. You see, it is absolutely wrong to think that we have a right to do whatever we want with our bodies because it is our bodies. That's, that's not biblical thinking at all. When the Corinthians, who lived in a very sexually perverted society, uh, continued behaving like that after they were saved, the Apostle Paul uh, addressed it in 1 Corinthians 6. You, you ought to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul addressed the sexual sins of the Corinthians. And in chapter 6, we know that they were engaging the men were engaging in, um, in sexual relations with pagan temple prostitutes. And the Apostle Paul argued that for a believer to join himself to a prostitute is absolutely unthinkable. It's absolutely hideous. He'll say, may it never be, which means perish the thought. Why? Because in reality, what Paul is teaching, if you join yourself to another, you are joining Christ to a harlot, since believers are one with him. Notice what he wrote in verse Chapter 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. That's where it's perish the thought. Heaven forbid. How can you even think such a thing? Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then he says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. That may be a reference to, uh, to sexual diseases there. Not sure. But the main point is what he's going on to say in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The point is your body belongs to Christ and therefore it is a sin against him to use it for immoral purposes. So why is, why is adultery such a grievous sin? Because first and foremost, it is a sin against God himself. But there's more. Adultery is not only a sin against the Lord, it's a sin against other people as well, a grievous sin. So why is adultery the most grievous of all? Secondly, because Adultery defiles the most sacred of all human relationships, and that's marriage. It is a sacred relationship. In Genesis 2.24, the Lord said that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And, And he said the two shall become one flesh. God created and he designed marriage to consist of one man and one woman joined together in a unique relationship for the rest of their lives. There is a spiritual, a mystical union, unlike anything else except Christ's relationship with his church, which is what marriage is really a picture of. Now, I want you to watch this, follow this. Their sexual union, their sexual union is a physical reflection and an expression of the fact that they are soulmates. When they come together physically, it is simply celebrating the fact that God has joined them, that they are one. 
From the time that they are joined together in sacred wedlock, they are truly one. God sees them as one. They share the same home, the same finances, the same children, the same grandchildren, the same burdens, the same joys, same sorrows, everything. It's shared from that point on. They share youth together. They share midlife together. They grow old together. They share because they are one. And their physical union, it's a celebration of the unique oneness that they have as a married couple. That's reserved for them. Nobody else is to be involved in that. That's why, that's why sex before outside of marriage is absolutely wrong. Because it's only self-centered selfishness. It has nothing to do with what God has joined together. See, there is a hideousness of adultery that destroys that unique oneness that was reserved for them and them alone. Not only is their physical oneness ruined by adultery, but the intimacy is gone. The joy is destroyed and and, and trust is, is ruined. Everything about it is bad. It's wrong. So adultery is a grievous sin. It is a sin against God. It is a sin against the sacredness of marriage. Also, it is a sin against the other person and their, and their spouse. But there's a third reason why it is the worst of all sexual sins. Adultery brings great harm to the children of that marriage. One Bible teacher described the harm adultery brings to children by describing what kind of message infidelity communicates to a child. Here's what it communicates. He wrote, infidelity tells a child, your mother is not worth much and your father is a liar and a cheat. Furthermore, honor is not nearly as important as pleasure. In fact, my my child, my own satisfaction is more important than you. That's exactly what one is communicating to a child. The same writer goes on to say this. This, of course, is followed by the harm to the church as it is evacuated of power and and authenticity and harm to the world. For if the gospel cannot save or cannot give Christians the power to control their sexuality... How can it save the world? No no wonder we have such an anemic witness to the world. We're telling them about the transforming power of Jesus Christ, and yet we can't even control our sexuality. So adultery is a sin against God. It is a sin against a spouse. It is a sin against children. It is a sin against the church. It is a sin against the world, as far as our testimony is concerned. But ironically, and a lot of people don't realize this, ironically, and, and this is the fourth reason, why adultery is so grievous, is that it brings great harm to the person who commits it. We don't often think about that. It brings great harm to the person who commits adultery. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, and you should keep it there because we'll be referring back to it. The Bible is not prudish about this. The Bible is straightforward. The Bible gives us God's words of wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 5 is one of the greatest deterrents to committing adultery found in Scripture because it is the inspired warnings of the dangers awaiting those who engage in adulterous relationship. God actually warns us, don't go down that road, it will destroy you. Interestingly enough, this proverb is actually a father and son talk between Solomon and his son, Solomon communicating to his son, And what's interesting about this is that I can think of no one more qualified to speak on the subject of unrestrained sexual conduct than Solomon. 1 Kings 11.4 states that Solomon's heart had been led away from the Lord by 700 wives and 300 concubines. So I think this man knew something about the dangers of 
adultery. And he put it in writing for us. And he warns his son and, and all of us about the terrible consequences of adultery. I want to read it to you, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll comment on it and we'll go further into this. My son, give attention, verse 1, to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. After making his son uh, aware of these things, he's going to say some other other truths about it. But what he's doing in these verses is he is warning his son about the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of adultery. It may look good. It may make great promises, but it is deceptive. It is absolutely deceptive, and that's what he's talking about. But he goes on to say that there is a high price that one pays who commits adultery. And remember, this is a warning to deter us from it. Verses 7 through 14. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. These verses spell out that there are There are various losses that adultery brings. There is a high price to pay. What do you lose if you engage in adultery? Well, some of the things he mentions is self-respect and dignity. You lose self-respect. You lose dignity. You lose your financial resources because now you've got to take care of of this person you had adultery with, your, your adulterous partner and her children. You lose peace with God due to a guilty conscience. You have regrets the rest of your life. You say, how I've spurned my my teachers when they warned me. What kind of a fool I've been. And you'll be disgraced before God's people. That's what verse 14 is talking about. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. You'll be embarrassed. You'll be disgraced. And you know what? No one ever forgets it. You are marked the rest of your life about adultery. God may forgive you. You repent. You certainly will. But you are marked the rest of your life popular culture today is not strongly opposed to adultery. In fact, countless movies and television programs seem rather to glorify it and present it as a fun adventure. However, they only tell part of the story. Just like the advertisements for beer and alcohol never show a drunkard whose life has been ruined by alcohol, the world rarely focuses upon the severe and far-reaching damage caused by infidelity and sexual immorality. Blinded by their own sin and lust, they try to ignore the pain that their choices have brought them or to blame others for their problems. Yet the Bible speaks plainly on this matter. It confirms what we already know in our heart of hearts, that adultery really is a very serious sin, causing harm to our loved ones, our reputations, and even our very souls. You have been listening to the teaching of Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
His practical explanation of the Bible has been strengthening believers in their walk with Christ for decades, and it is for that reason that the verse-by-verse radio ministry was started. It is our sincere desire that the biblical studies broadcast on this program have been a help to you in your own walk with Christ. If you are interested in learning more about Pastor Steve or the verse-by-verse ministry, we invite you to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can give us a call at 727-239-0306 and talk to someone on our ministry staff. If you are familiar with the teaching of Jesus Christ on this topic of adultery, you will know that he dealt with much more than just the physical act of sexual infidelity. Jesus revealed that this commandment against adultery extends even to the thoughts and intents of our heart. His teaching helps us to realize that this is a commandment which is easily broken and must not be taken lightly. In our next two broadcasts, Pastor Steve will explain just how this command applies to our thoughts and what Christians can do to avoid breaking the command. Be sure to join us here next time on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. If you're concerned about... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.